Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Polybytes podcast, bringing you bite-sized politics every week. This week felt surprisingly quiet after the drama of the Novak situation, and as of next week, that disappears. From next week, the Pandemic Oversight Committee sits for the very first time where Sutton will front them for questions. And the week after that, Parliament in Victoria is back off and running in an election year. There was something in last week's episode that should have been included, and it's such a big moment that I really wanted to focus on it for this one. And that is Andrew Bogart versus the Victorian Electoral Commission. As many people know, basketball champ Andrew Bogart has been quite vocal of his criticisms of the Victorian government, and I've shared his posts a number of times. In this, he got into a disagreement with the VEC, claiming authorities were trying to silence him. This kicked off when he shared a screenshot of a letter he recently received from the VEC in response to a Twitter post on his account from October 27, 2021, which criticised the state government's controversial pandemic powers bill. To say he was not the only person criticising this bill at the time would be an understatement. The post included the message, vote them out, and was accompanied by a media clip directing viewers to a Vote Them Out website. In the clip, it said no politician in Victoria should vote to give this government permanent pandemic powers. An image of three current members of the Victorian Parliament was accompanied by the statement, if these politicians vote these laws in, make sure you vote them out. According to the VEC, Bogart received a formal notice that his post appeared to have failed to comply with the requirements for the publication of electoral advertisements, handbills, pamphlets or notices required under Section 83 Part 1 of the Electoral Act 2002. The VEC said the post was problematic as it, and I quote, intended or likely to affect voting in an election. If found guilty of an offence against this section of the Electoral Act, a person can face up to 10 penalty units or the equivalent of about $1,800. Bogart was ordered to immediately act to prevent further offending. Now, if you were going to target someone, targeting someone who $1,800 means nothing and they have very little to lose because they have gained most of their successes in life, demonstrated by the fact that at no point has Bogart ever seemed to hold back his opinion, it was probably not the wisest move of the VEC to go for someone of his platform size. Bogart discussed the saga in his Rogue Bogues podcast, Common Sense series, claiming he was disillusioned with politics altogether and had a dislike of both major parties. He has made no secret of his disdain for both sides of politics on many an occasion, but this is the one that prompted the letter. In the episode, he went on to discuss the letter and issued a blunt reply to the VEC, claiming that social media posts are not listed in that section of the Electoral Act. And from him, here's your reply. I don't agree with your sentiment. I don't agree with the offences you have stated in your very own act. It basically says social media posts are not listed. The clip does not promote a political party. I believe it's fully within the act and within the law. I'm very careful about not promoting political parties. I don't endorse any party. I'm not silly enough to go out there and promote one single party because at the end of the day, most of them will let you down eventually. This is pretty on brand with what he posts on a daily basis. This is the part where it gets interesting. And this is the part that really kind of made the media sit up and listen. He questioned what prompted the VEC to send the letter. Victoria is meant to be a democracy, right? He says. Where did this come from? Did it come from the government I criticise on an almost daily basis? Surely not, because the VEC are meant to be nonpartisan, aren't they? They're there to protect the integrity of our democracy and our voting system. In response to this, the VEC obviously immediately issued a statement because, of course, they picked a fight with someone with a huge international platform. And they said the VEC is an independent and impartial body established under the Victorian Electoral Act to conduct state, local and some statutory elections. 
The VEC is also responsible for promoting public awareness and understanding of electoral issues, including the authorization requirements for electoral material. The letter issued to Mr. Bogart advised that the electoral material published to his social media account did not carry the correct authorization statement and therefore failed to comply with his obligations under the Electoral Act. This requirement does not prevent someone from publishing electoral matter. It simply means that they are required to properly authorise the material. The VEC encourages healthy political debate which complies with the law, including the requirement to properly authorise electoral material. In this, and as part of it, there were some follow-up pieces done by the media about other people who have spoken out about the government and if they have received any communications back in relation to what they've said. Even I got asked, privately, of course. I have never had that particular problem. However, what has happened to Bogut with this in particular, I found very interesting. So I actually shared, I'm fairly certain, his post that he did off Instagram for the Vote Them Out video. The interesting thing is Vote Them Out was actually sending people to a, a website that, technically speaking, complied with the disclosure requirements. That's why the website itself was never targeted. Because as far as I'm aware, after speaking to some of the people who helped make it, they never got letters from the VEC. Only Bogut did. Since then, Bogut has been having a wonderful time trolling the VEC on social media every time he tries to say something that's criticizing the government, asking them if he's allowed to say it. I seriously doubt he's going to get bored of this between now and November when the election happens. And quite frankly, I wish that there was someone or something that fact-checked what the politicians themselves said to even 10% of how the VEC was reacting to what a random person on social media said. On the topic of fact-checking bureaucrats, last week on the podcast, we discussed the fact that Sutton had tweeted an article that week saying it was good advice. In this article, the very first point references, and I quote, basic virology principles, which are that people should wait up to three months following infection for a booster, while other random experts in DHS shoving down everyone's throat at presses the next day that you needed to get it immediately. Now, to add to this theme... This week, Sutton had a breakdown on social media saying that this variant, Omicron, was not mild. And then a few days later, the government announced a brand new education campaign they would be running for people to stay at home to recover from COVID because that's what the majority of people do. This is obviously also in reference to trying to reduce the pressure on hospital capacity because, of course, they're having so many people turn up to hospitals because they don't know what to do. As mentioned earlier this week, Scaring the shit out of people and giving them no relevant information means they're going to behave in a way where they have the shit scared out of them and like they have no relevant information. So they're going to go to a hospital. On the day this happened and they announced the campaign, some data came out and I thought it was really interesting. It said since January, more than 550,000 cases in Victoria have been diagnosed or recorded and only 0.71% of these have required hospital care. That's 0.71%. There is no distinction in this data what care means if they just happen to present to emergency or actually needed a bed. This will become relevant in a moment. For the sake of clarity, the 0.71% works out to be 3,905 people. As someone who quite likes data and got a couple of interesting comments on this saying, don't you think 3,900 people is a lot, started to look into what the hospitalization stats have been previously in Australia. According to public statistics, in 2016 to 2017, there were more than 11 million admissions to hospital in Australia. So this is Australia, not just Victoria. There were 6.6 million in public hospitals and 4.4 million in private hospitals. Again, this is admissions. This does not mean that they stayed overnight. This includes people who present to hospital for an emergency, receive treatment and leave. Let's only do the public hospitalization numbers. And let's say Victoria only accounted for 20% of the 6.6 million admissions there. 
If you break that down from being in ER and only 20%, that's 1.32 million attendances at hospitals in Victoria in one year. That's 110,000 a month, which means the approximate 4,000 extra is only an increase of about 4% a month. And keeping in mind a not insignificant portion was never due to COVID, but just people testing positive while at hospital. This is something that data from New South Wales indicated that for some of their major hospitals at the peak was possibly as high as 40 or 50% of people recorded as being in hospital as a COVID case were not actually there for COVID at all. Going back to the idea of an extra 4,000 in a month, if you're looking at this being only approximately an extra 4%, this has still crippled the entire system. We've suspended elective surgery again. While people were commenting saying, you know, don't you think this is a lot of people? If you put it in that context, as well as the idea idea that they have had almost two years to prepare for specifically this. This has ruled our lives. How much excess should they be able to cope with with that much time to prepare? And how much of this is just caused by the staff shortages from how many people they fired, then forced to isolate? I've said this a few times and I will probably keep saying it. It is truly mind-blowing how badly they have managed this entire situation. First, they fired hundreds of people. Then they decided that it didn't matter, even if you kept your job. Being vaccinated apparently didn't mean anything. Everyone was still getting COVID, everyone was still passing COVID, and everyone still had to test and isolate. By the time this peak happened and we were calling a code brown, there was no difference in the rules between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated anyway. Whether they tested positive, whether they were a close contact, there was no difference in the rules. The only difference is whether or not they could go to work. Speaking of being vaccinated and firing people, this week we got to hear that Dan is actively pushing Atagi to change the definition of fully vaccinated to be three doses. Again, he has no relevant qualifications whatsoever to be pushing for this and it is purely political. The idea that he is so confident in saying in the media that he is pushing for this and not a single person in the media goes, hey, you have no qualifications for this. Why are you pushing for it? Really speaks volumes about this country. Interestingly, the concept of changing the definition to fully vaccinated and what that would then mean for the country is not really getting discussed. And at some point, I may get over the idea that the media tend to not discuss major consequences of decisions, but that's not going to be right now. If they were to change the definition of fully vaccinated within the country, that would mean that should Victoria keep the vaccine passports, anyone in Australia who hadn't had three would be locked out. The other thing that I've noticed a lot of people don't actually know or they're not so aware of is there's a number of vaccines around the world that we already don't recognize as a country. So for example, uh, I believe it's the Sputnik one from Russia. We don't recognize it, which means if you are fully vaccinated there, if you try to come to Australia, we will treat you as unvaccinated. You have to quarantine, you'll be locked out of everything, you can't work, etc. I've spoken to a few people who work in areas like this, and there's becoming a lot of issues bureaucratically with what happens with these people where they've had two of a vaccine that we don't recognize, but one of one that we do. If you change the definition to three doses, but we don't recognize two of the three, what do you do then? Is the third the most important? Because apparently no matter what first two you got, it matters. And in that regard, what does it matter if someone's only had one versus the other two beforehand? None of this ever gets discussed. It is endlessly frustrating how illogical and contradictory this is becoming. And it's only getting messier. And yet there's nothing being aired out about what's the end game here? How is this sustainable? As we try and have international events and God forbid, maybe even tourism might become a concept here again, this is going to prove problematic really quickly. There is no global standard of proof 
improve here. As we learned with Novak, it's all pretty unclear at the best of times, let alone how Australia runs things. And so what happens when you start getting into that extreme mix of multiple international tourists with multiple combinations, what standard of certificate needs to be presented, the Services Victoria app links to Medicare. The only way to get a Medicare link here if you're an international is with a fair bit of paperwork and a bit of time. Tourists aren't going to do that. Yet again, not getting discussed. Speaking of paperwork messes and international travel, the Djokovic saga is still popping up in the media and there's something bubbling away in the background where it looks like this may not be done. There's obviously the rumour that he may sue Australia for what we did to him, which, you know, there are some grounds. And more than that, Serbia since has cancelled a multi-billion dollar Rio Tinto contract days after Novak was deported. It's worth noting that there were a lot of protests in Serbia about this particular contract, irrespective of what happened with Novak here in Australia. And there were some rumours that Novak's support for cancelling that contract was one of the reasons why Scotty the coal lover may have supported kicking him out. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you wish to look at it, our federal government is very much hard border good. So what they did to Novak was simply very on brand for that. I do not necessarily think that that is why they kicked him out. I certainly think it had more to do with his views. However, do I think how Australia treated Novak was a key decision in Serbia suddenly deciding that, you know what, a few days later, this contract can go in the bin? Absolutely. This contract was worth approximately $2.4 billion. So I hope Scotty is crying into his sack of coal and having to explain to his rich mates what happened. As we head into the final week of January and going into Feb, with Parliament starting again and everything kicking off, you can be assured that the quiet stage that we've enjoyed for about a week is definitely not going to be back for a while. See you all next week.